Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com today. My name is Paul, and joined with us once again is John Myers, developer advocate over at Supabase. We're going to be talking about the most recent launch week for Supabase. We're excited to have you on, John. Excited to talk about all the new features coming out. Going to get into it. Welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me yet again. I feel like this has become basically after every launch week where we're catching up, which is it's very nice. Every three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great because, yeah, like you said, we keep keeping up with the launch week. So if you want to keep up with the Supabase launch weeks, you can come over to PodRocket. But I'm really excited to get into it because as a avid user of Supabase myself, I really want to hear about all the goodies coming out, especially related to like some of the authentication stuff, because there's been so much change over the past year with all the different frameworks and stuff. And I know Supabase, you guys really pride yourselves at being able to like your developer tools, plug yourself in easily. So excited to hear how that stuff has developed. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to talk about it. Just to like quickly run off some of the things we're going to be talking about edge functions, database, like the new database stuff you have with branching your database, not only locally, Supabase auth, like I mentioned, read replicas, Supabase studio. We can start there because everybody uses Supabase studio, but I'm excited to hear about the AI stuff that you introduced to RLS because as a Prisma guy, RLS is a little like off the beaten path for me and I don't typically reach for it. So can you talk to me a little bit about the improvements in Superbase Studio and the integration of AI into some of these features? I'm probably going to say this for every feature that we talk about, but I think this is my favorite feature of all of the ones that we launched, which is, yeah, in integrating an AI assistant into our RLS editor. So if you're not familiar, RLS or row-level security is a way to do authorization in your database. And so what it does is just deny all access by default so no one can select, update, insert, or delete any rows in the database. And then if you want to enable access for one of those actions, then you can write a policy. And in that policy, you can specify a particular role that has access to that or a particular person, some kind of condition that allows them to have access or not have access. And so this is has always been a massive hurdle because RLS is the way that we recommend to do authorization when you're using Superbase or, your, or a Postgres database. And so it's always this massive hurdle trying to educate people about RLS right when they're new to Superbase. And I think they all have a, a very similar experience to what you described just then, where it's like, this isn't what I'm used to. This is a whole new thing to learn. I don't have time for this. I'll learn it later. And so using AI to make that a little bit more approachable, a little bit easier for people has been a massive win. And yeah, now you can just open up a chat interface and you can have a conversation about how you want people to have access to your data. So if you're familiar with something like ChatGPT, very similar to that, where you can say, I want anyone whose email domain ends in at superbase.com to have right access to this table. And then anyone that works at Superbase would be able to change that data. But then if someone was logged in with a different email account from a different domain, then they wouldn't have access. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's interesting you bring up the the time save thing because, you know, I have that reaction of, oh, I gotta, I have to learn this new database thingy. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm building a Next.js app and I just need to connect to backend, I don't have to run it. 
And that's a huge time save intrinsically because I don't have to run my uh, authorization layer myself. It's just built into the backend as a service that Supabase is providing. So maybe now with the AI, I, I want to get into it even more because I have somebody to talk me through it. And then I can truly realize some of those time savings because the cliff to learn has been reduced. Yeah, absolutely. It also, from a security standpoint, it also protects you from if you forget to add that where clause mm-hmm. on or add some kind of filtering in your application, it's very easy to leak out data that you maybe didn't intend to. Whereas if everything's locked down at that database layer, even if you forget to add on a where clause to make sure that this person is only selecting the rows that they are the author for or something like that, all of that is handled at the database and filtered out anyway. So yeah, it's a nice little safety backup as well. Now, what about the Postgres role? and how it fits into the editor experience here. I have no idea what Postgres role means. We know roles in the database and you have certain authorizations for those. Is that kind of the same vein? Yes. Automatically with a Superbase instance, you have three roles set up for you. One is the Postgres role, which is what is used by the Superbase dashboard. So that kind of has elevated privileges and bypasses RLS, all of the things that we were just talking about. And so there's that role, there's the unauthenticated role, which means that you're just a user of of the application that you've built on top of Superbase, but you haven't signed in. So you haven't used Superbase auth to authenticate that user. And then the third role is the authenticated role. And so that's where someone has authenticated with Superbase auth. And so you can now, there's kind of two parts to this. There's role impersonation, and then there's actual impersonation of users. So user impersonation. Both of these have now been added to the Superbase Studio under the table editor. So you can test these RLS policies as a specific role. So you can see what an unauthenticated user would have access to in your database. So what they're able to select, what they're able to insert or you can impersonate a specific user. So with our example before, you could impersonate someone who works at Superbase and has that superbase.com domain and then see, is this user able to insert a new row and and test out those policies and then impersonate a different user who does not work at Superbase and confirm that they don't have access to do that. Does the role domain extend into anything beyond like the user? Or if you wanted to do something like an org, or a multi-tenant thing, would you implement that on top of these like primitives that we just discussed? Yeah, so that would be a separate thing that you would implement, like a custom implementation. The roles and impersonation is directly tied to Superbase auth. And so those are kind of already set up and managed for you by Superbase, and they're used for other things. So they're not things that you would tinker with and add additional roles to. So yeah, anything multi-tenant or things like that would be a custom implementation on top of this. That said, it currently is not available through this roles and impersonation UI, but it is something that we're looking into in the future to open that up to be able to add your own custom things that you want to be able to impersonate. The last thing that I want to touch on with the studio, the real-time inspector. I heard a wind about this and real-time can be one of those things that it's like you don't really know what's going on. So when I hear real-time inspector, it's like, oh, more visibility, easier testing. That that sounds good. So what can I do with the inspector? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not familiar with Superbase, there is also a real-time subscriptions or a real-time engine that you can subscribe to any changes in your database. And so this real-time inspector is similar to that impersonation feature for RLS, but it allows you to impersonate 
a particular user or one of those roles and then see what kind of real-time events that specific user or that specific role receive. So you can impersonate a user from Superbase and then you can go and change data in the database or insert new rows in the database and you can see what kind of real-time events the user who is signed into the application would receive as they're using that application and the data is changing. I love these features because they feel very geared towards like maintainability and testing, which like testing is a hidden beast of a time sink. It's like, how do I replicate my data in the right environments? And how do I make sure the role is correct? This feels very like a big helper. Both RLS and real time have always been this black box where you receive, especially real time, you like you receive an event, but there was no way to test that before other than literally changing data in the database and being signed in as that user in an application or even testing RLS, like literally changing rows in the database and being signed in as that user and seeing, am I able to actually see this new data? So yeah, being able to test that in the Superbase Studio itself is just such a massive win. And on, on a selfish note, it's so much easier to explain these concepts as a developer advocate. I've found like, even just putting the videos together for this one, it was so much easier to explain RLS and you can visually show what's going on without me needing to spend like a couple of hours spinning up a Next.js app and like building out an example just to be able to basically show how that filtering is happening. Let's move on to, I would love to talk a little bit about the database branching because here we're talking about testing, we're talking about environments talking about like trying different users. I know this isn't necessarily rolled out, or at least in the launch week, it said it isn't rolled out GA to everybody. It's like an incremental rolling release, but branching in the database, that sounds like a big thing. I have a multiple copies of the same database. How do they do it? <laughs> Is that what's happening, John? <laughs> that is what's happening. So yeah, you can oh think gosh. of this new branching feature as like Git for Postgres. I think a lot of people are, are quite familiar with that that form of collaborative feature development where you're working on a branch for a particular feature. So you create a branch locally and you build out the feature and then you open a PR. That PR gets reviewed by the team and then eventually merged back into production. You can think of that whole process now being possible with databases as well. So every time you create a feature branch in GitHub or locally to to build out your feature, you also create a feature database branch. And so that's a clone of not just actually your database, but your entire Superbase instance. And so you can keep all of your changes that you need to make for that particular feature all kind of isolated from production and isolated from any other feature branches. And then when you merge that GitHub branch back into your production branch, main or whatever, then your migrations for your database will also be run against your production database. So yeah, it's a way of keeping everything isolated and keeping your application changes in sync with your structural database changes. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, I'm an avid Prisma person. I'm sure a lot of people listening, they love Prisma and they use it. It provides a similar promise of collaborative uh, cycles where you can make a change, migrate it locally, push it up to Git, everybody can review it. But it sounds like this is much more like wrapped up with the bow, right? Like I can do it all on the platform. And Prisma does have this reputation of like things getting out of sync and then things get very painful. So I'm curious, John, have you used Prisma yourself? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. My origin story starts at Prisma. I was a developer advocate at Prisma for about three months before I started at Superbase. So it's where I had my first experience as a developer advocate. 
And when I started at Superbase, I did a lot of work trying to integrate them really tightly and, and putting together a bunch of examples of how to use Superbase and Prisma together. But yeah, it's been a while since I've played with it. Big fan. I just, yeah, I, I just haven't had the chance. I guess I'm just a little curious about some of the ads that the database branching feature from your perspective, somebody who's like worked with Prisma kind of provide because it's much more taken care of, it, it seems, for the users and the, and the developers and the way things are versioned. Because Prisma, you have your code and your database changes all in the same like track. But here they're separate. They're separately managed and, and you can poke around with them in the UI. Do you feel like an inherently the database branching gives you another level of like maintainability because of that? Yeah. So one of the big benefits is that because it's like the entire Superbase stack, you can actually just use the Superbase Studio locally and use the UI to add columns, add tables, change the structure of your database. And then you can just run a command to basically do a diff of everything that you've changed about your Postgres database. And all of that is automatically written to a migration file, which can then be tracked along with, and so similar to Prisma, you have this migration file that tracks all of those structural changes to your database along with your code for your project. And it allows us to also build this really tight integration. So far, we've built a really good integration with GitHub and a really good integration with Vercel. And so if you use both of those things for product development at the moment, they can, basically the CI pipeline can automatically detect that there's a new version of your application and you're probably used to that if you're using Vercel currently that you push up to GitHub or you push up changes to your branch that has a PR open on it and it will automatically build a new version of your application. Our integration can now detect that you have, because those migrations are tracked alongside the rest of your code, our integration can detect that there are database changes as well and apply those to your separate branch and keep it in sync all the way along. So yeah. It's a great way to collaboratively build projects and not need to worry about this kind of juggle of if you've made structural changes to your database and you need those to be live in your production database when the feature goes live, there's this juggle where you've got to make sure that you have applied your migrations to your production database before your application goes live, but now it's keeping all of that in sync. And it also gives me a lot of comfort thinking that like it's on a branch and it's a version so I could revert easily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That 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 is amazing. And it gives me a lot of removed anxiety. Being stuck in prod with a it doesn't have to be Prisma. Just insert like DB management tool that's like completely isolated trying to revert stuff can be a nightmare. So I love seeing work being done up that vein to make sure the checks and balances and escape hatch buttons are, are always being worked on. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, it can always be rolled back just as easily as any other thing that's been deployed to production because it's all kind of being kept in sync with those particular branches. You could just roll back the entire merge of that PR and automatically roll back to the same database branch or the database branch that was previously live which is why we also recommend not to do, I think this is just database best practices anyway, but never do like destructive things in your migrations. Don't drop a table or drop a column or something like that, because that's where you might get data loss if you try to roll back to a particular point and it removes all of these columns or tables. You may, may have clicked a button you didn't want to click. And so making sure that these migrations are additive rather than destructive is usually the best way to go. Now we have edge functions, 
which are which looks like there was a massive update with this recent launch week. Before we hop into that, I want to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. So if you're building an application, if it be on Superbase, it could be on any platform, big or small, and you want to spend less time debugging in that console and more time actually coding the product, you should check out LogRocket because it helps you find and surface issues faster. You can look at trends and have them brought up that you may not have ever have noticed of all sorts of things like memory, heat maps, seeing what your users are doing. So head over to logrocket.com today and check it out for free. John, turning to edge functions, it seems like there was yeah like a huge update. You folks support NPM modules holistically. Right now, I can just like throw it in an edge function? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this is just work that's happened in Dino that we can now surface in edge functions because they are like super base edge functions uh, sit on top of a Dino runtime or run within a Dino runtime. But yeah, if you're not aware, Dino is super fast and super secure, and it encourages you to do good things like write type safe code and import specific versions of your packages, and also has restricted permissions over things that packages can do. But refactoring a Node app to use or to run within a Dino environment has previously been a little bit painful. So some packages were supported through CDN imports like ESM um, or Unpackage, but some packages were just not supported because they used node-specific APIs. In fact, a, a large amount of NPM packages were not supported. But now there's been a bunch of work for both NPM compatibility as well as the inbuilt node API compatibility. And so you can now import NPM packages just by prepending the import path with NPM colon and then whatever the package is. And you can actually import specific node APIs. So the majority of these are supported. There's a list in the Dino docs, there's a really good list about which ones are not currently supported, but most of them are, which means you can import things like process, which is usually the way that you access things like environment variables in your node application. You can now just import process from node colon process. And yeah, having those node APIs supported makes a huge number of NPM packages now also supported because they may use those underlying things that it's assuming exist in the node runtime, which can now be like, I assume they're being polyfilled or something behind the scenes, translated in some way. But yeah, you can now, there's this way higher compatibility between node and Dino. Do you think that this sort of changes the future of what edge functions is going to play in a role in the typical apps that you see deployed on Superbase? Yeah, I think so. I think anything where you've had to sidestep out of that out of that environment to be able to run a, an existing legacy app or even just a small express app, for example, couldn't be run on Dino previously. You would need to refactor the app to use something that's expressed like an Oak server, which is what exists in Dino land. And so you, I guess you would, in, in that case, you would need to run these two separate environments. You'd have to deploy your node application somewhere and then also have your Superbase instance with everything else. Now, because of that improvement in support, you can just have one platform you need to manage or is already managed for you, which is Superbase. And so all of those edge functions can live in there as well. I just want to throw out there, can you point listeners to where they can go if they want to double click on any of the features if they like heard something already that they're interested in from launch week? Yeah, absolutely. The Superbase blog has been putting out like articles specific to all of these features. And there's a really good one that just came out, which is like the top 10 features that you may have missed from this Superbase launch week. And yeah, that's a good one to get a summary of all of the features. 
But yeah, if you head over to superbase.com slash blog, there is a in-depth list of everything that has been launching over the last couple of weeks. So superbase.com slash blog, go there. Yeah, or the Superbase YouTube channel is another really good one if you're more of a visual learner. I was putting out a video of kind of the, I guess, the flagship release for each day throughout launch week. So yeah, the Superbase YouTube channel is also an excellent one to check out. So turning to Superbase Auth, um, Superbase Auth has had a few changes over the past year. Um, at least myself, I can remember coming and probably using two or three different paradigms that were set out by Superbase Auth. So I, I honestly haven't looked at it in a month or two since the recent launch week. So I'm really excited to hear about like where is it sitting right now and what's the compatibility with Next.js 13 14? Yeah, Next.js 13 and 14 we have released a package called at superbase slash SSR, which to roll it back, the incompatibility issue that exists between Next.js and Superbase or a lot of auth providers is if sessions are stored in local storage, then that's only accessible by the browser. And with basically all modern frameworks like Nuxt, Next.js, Remix, Astro, all of those, usually have some way of doing SSR or some kind of server bits interweaved with browser bits. And so when you're dealing with that kind of shared environment where you have servers and browsers, you need to use cookies to share all of that session information rather than local storage. So by default, Superbase uses local storage to store your session. And this SSR package configures Superbase Auth to use cookies rather than local storage. So that makes your user's session available throughout all of those bits. Yeah, if you're subscribing to real-time events, which you need to do kind of browser or client side, then all of your auth information is piped through. If you want to fetch data on before the initial render using SSR, then all of that happens server side. And so your user session is also available there. So if you're using Next.js and Superbase, recommend the SSR package. You can also run uh, a handy tool straight. You can use a template with the Create Next App CLI tool. So if you do npx create next app, dash E to specify a specific example and then use with Superbase, then that will give you basically a starter application that already has all of the auth stuff configured for you. But for this launch week, we launched a bunch of kind of more fine-grained control over sessions and linking identities and a whole bunch of stuff. Auth hooks sounds pretty interesting. Is an auth hook something that is in the front end specifically or is it more like in the back end as a service as a whole? Yeah, so this is in the back end. So auth hooks are a way to tie into particular events in that auth flow and be able to run Postgres functions. At the moment, we've just done the integration with Postgres functions, but in the future, you'll be able to use webhooks or edge functions and things like that. But right now, it's just Postgres functions. But you can tie into a particular point in the auth flow, like, for example, when the JWT is created. So every time a new JWT is created, you can go and run a Postgres function. And you can do things like add additional claims to that JWT if you wanted to add like the domain that user exists within. So this user is an at superbase.com user, like they work at Superbase, then you could add that to the JWT by using a Postgres function and tying into that particular auth hook event. And so we're going to roll out a bunch more of these. And the idea is that Superbase manages an auth.users table, which manages all of your users and their sessions and all of that authentication stuff. And so the idea is with auth hooks, 
you would be able to tie into specific events rather than needing to understand database schema design and all of the deep Postgres relational database stuff. And so you wouldn't need to touch the auth.users table to tie into these different events. You could just write Postgres functions or edge functions or webhooks or something else that can step in at those different points in the auth flow. So I could do something like, you know, if this is a new user, go also sign them up for this thing in the future, like as a middleware, if I wanted. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Does this relate in any way to the session control piece of the auth updates? Yeah, so session control is giving you more fine-grained control over some like attributes about the user's session. So you can turn on single session, which means that this enforces that there's only one session that exists. So you can think of this as something like Netflix or one of those other services where they don't want you to share logins across multiple users. So when a user signs in to your Superbase application, you can automatically invalidate all of the other sessions. And so you can only have one person signed in at a time. Another one is time box. So you can set a specific amount of time that a session exists for. So you can think of this as if you're booking tickets for a concert or something like that, and you have a time box for like, you only have five minutes to do this, and then it's going to log you out of the application. And then inactivity is the other one, which is basically that. But if the user continues to use the application, then that time box or that timer doesn't start. So as long as they're using the application, their session stays active. But then if they stop using the application for five minutes or something like that, it will automatically log them out. So you can think of that as like a banking application or something where it's important that the user doesn't just walk away from the computer and leave it unattended for other people to do bad things. Just out of curiosity, is there any like user agent level fine grain control in there? Not at this point, I don't okay. think, or not with these changes that have been added. But it's something you could add theoretically, right? If you take in the incoming request and yeah, hide true. your... Yeah, okay, cool. I know there's more to, to look at in the Superbase auth. We've got password protection, identity linking. If we just really want to quickly go over identity linking, does this have anything to do with creating gr- groups and I could like associate like an org of users? Not quite. So identity okay. linking automatically happens behind the scenes if a user signs in with different authentication methods. So with Superbase, there's a whole bunch of OAuth providers. You can also sign in with email and password or mobile phone OTP. There's a bunch of different ways that you can authenticate with Superbase. So if a user authenticates with email and password and then they authenticate a different time they sign into the app, they authenticate with GitHub. If those emails are the same, then we'll automatically merge those two identities behind the scenes. But what we've exposed with these new changes is you can now manually merge identities if that email is different. So if they sign in with email and password, and then they have a different email address that they use for GitHub, you can now manually merge those two. And you can expose this as like a dashboard within your application and let the user authenticate with whatever other services or identities they want to link. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's one super base auth user, but they can have multiple identities for how they authenticate. That is a very difficult issue to solve if you find yourself already in a made application and then you're like, oh, we have to link these people. We have to reinvent our auth model. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) like some of these features, like they might seem like, do I need that? I don't know. But it's if you're building an enterprise app, you're probably going to need it at some point. Absolutely. And And this is a a big one that people have been asking for a while. Like the automatic stuff has been happening for, for a while, but being able to manually merge where that condition isn't shared. That's been one that 
we've been working on for a while. I mean, up the same vein of just like playing in the enterprise space and at that level, we have read replicas. That That's really big for, it doesn't have to be a bigger team, but you find it a lot with bigger teams. So just really quick before we get into like the why, what is a read replica, John? And why would somebody be interested in it? Yeah, so a read replica is similar to what you may know of as the Edge, which is like a collection of globally distributed CDN nodes or basically just servers that can serve your web application. So if you have users that are in a a very far away geographical location from where your server is, you can roll out servers all across the world so they can connect to a server that's very close to them. The problem is that, so I'm over in Australia, which is very far away from US West, which is where most of the internet is, US West or US East. And so if I want to request a web app, it needs to go back to US East or US West and then travel all the way back to Australia with the results. When you have an edge network, so you've got a CDN that's closer to people's geographical location. So in Australia, I can connect to a CDN in Sydney That helps for serving me the web application. But if it needs to go to the database to get data, we're back with that same problem where the CDN still needs to request data from the single origin database that lives in US West or US East. And so now with read replicas, you can roll out read-only versions of your database, or again, the entire Superbase stack, so that a user who uh, is in Australia can connect to a server in Australia to get the application, and then the application can make a request to the database, which is also in Australia, to get the results that the user actually needs to see to load the page. Um, So yeah, this one is huge. It's built on top of the database branching that we were talking about earlier, and it's just, yeah, such, such a game changer. This is probably the biggest feature we've like ever worked on, the combination of branching and read replicas. Yeah, I mean, it's really stepping into that like we mentioned, that playing field of you're building a serious enterprise app that needs worldwide support and adoption. Like you, you, you have to reach for these things. There's only so much you can do with the out of the box, um, deploy your app to a bunch of edge functions. Cause like you mentioned, you still have the database. You have to read your data from somewhere. And that kind of brings me to a question about the read replicas. They're a read replica. So how does this play out if I'm logging in because I need to be issued a JWT. Yeah, so anything, any write operations, anything that needs to change data or add new data or delete data, all of that needs to go back to that origin database. So those records added or modified or deleted from the primary database. So that might be in US East or US West. But then the other side of this is that those the propagation of those changes is also automatically handled for you by Superbase. You change the primary database, which might take an extra second or whatever if you're somewhere else in the world, but then those changes are automatically propagated out. And the way that we're doing that behind the scenes is by just sending what's called the write ahead log, which is like just a list of the changes that need to happen. So these changes will be able to be rolled out super quickly across all of those read replicas distributed across the world because it's literally just sending the changes. So it's saying we only need to add this one row to the database. And then that's super quick for that to be rolled out across that entire CDN network rather than destroying all of the read replicas and rebuilding them from scratch, which also wouldn't take that long. But as your application grows bigger and bigger, that the amount of time that's going to take is going to get bigger and bigger as well. I just love that it's, I don't have to think a lot about DevOps or at all, really, as a developer, just like I deploy it. And yeah, maybe if I write, it'll be the same. But if you're reading, it's going to be snappy 
because the database is right there. And are these data centers where the they're deployed owned by Supabase? Um, are they AWS based? So these will all, I believe, be rolling out on Fly. Um, oh, and so, very cool. Yeah, this is a another launch that we shouldn't go too deep into this, but there's also been a lot of work between Superbase and Fly for us to basically take over their Postgres integration. So now when you deploy a Postgres instance on Fly using Fly Postgres, that will now be a Superbase instance under the hood. And yeah, this allows us to combine that with this branching feature. Obviously, Fly is the perfect place to have an edge network of your app servers. And so now you can also have an edge network of your databases as well, or your Superbase instances. We've actually had Fly on the pod uh, here in PodRocket. So if you're listening and you want to hear more about Fly, you can tell John's a fan. I'm a fan. Check them out. You can check out the podcast to learn a little bit more. John, we've ran through a bunch of features here and I've selfishly just yelled things (laughs) that are interesting and asked for your opinion on them. I don't want to say those are the only things that we kept mentioning. Oh, there's more. Go check it out. So if there's anything on your mind that is like really big, like maybe like the read replicas that we didn't touch on, is there anything you want to tell the audience about that excited you about launch week that we didn't cover? Absolutely. This is the biggest launch of the entire launch week x the biggest thing we dropped is i released an album a super bass album of synth music which you can find over at the super bass youtube channel or you can listen to it on spotify or any of those streaming platforms if you head over to superbass.productions you can watch the entire hour-long ai generated video that goes along with the album as well so highly recommend that when I first started at Superbase, I realized we needed like an intro song and an outro song for our like YouTube channel to keep it consistent with our brand. And then we started doing live streams and I was like, we need a different one for the live streams. So I produced a different track for the live streams. And then because we run these launch weeks every three or four months, I was like, we need a separate one for every launch week. Like we need each launch week to have its own custom theme song. And so eventually it just, we got to the point where we had a big enough bank of music that it was time to put out an album. Ooh, very cool. John, uh, we're, we're already over time, which is unfortunate. But if people, like you already mentioned, if you want to like hear more about the blog, go to the YouTube channel. If you want to read more about the blog, you can go to superbase.com slash blog. If people wanted to hear specifically from you, John, they can hear your album. Yeah, you can hear my album. And if you want to hear my takes on coding as well and all of the other content that I create, I recommend following me on Twitter. So twitter.com, or is it X? Who knows? Anyway, my handle is John Myers underscore IO. John Myers underscore IO. And that's J-O-N, right? Yes, J-O-N-M-E-Y-E-R-S underscore I-O. Awesome. John, it's been a pleasure having you on. We're going to look forward to having you on again when Superbase... Yet again, bashes through like the Kool-Aid man with a huge gambit of awesome <laughs> upgrades. But yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for your time. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. 